Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Uh, you could open up your Bible today to Mark chapter 12. We're going to continue through our series in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to conclude chapter 12 this morning by starting off in verse 35, and we'll make our way down to verse 44. And just let's get right into it. Let me read the scripture, and we'll pray and jump right into what God has to speak to us this morning. So Mark chapter 12, with your Bible open to verse 35, this is what it says. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies or put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? The great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this morning and for the words that are open before us. We believe that these words are living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we ask, Lord, that they would cut into our hearts, cut in the way to convict, but cut into the way that would heal. God, we ask that you would um, help us to lean into your word today, to humble ourselves to receive it, and then God, We ask that you would give us the power of the Holy Spirit to go and live it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So today's text kind of comes in three parts. In the first part, we saw how Jesus identified himself as the Lord. And by Jesus claiming to be Lord, he was claiming to be God. And the way he did that was he used a Holy Spirit-inspired scripture that King David wrote particularly Psalm 110 verse 1, in order to make this claim that he is the Lord. And then we will move into how Jesus gives a warning, how he told us to beware of the scribes. And we'll look at what the scribes were doing. And the reason for this is that we want to avoid any mistakes that the scribes were making. And in their religious hypocrisy, we definitely don't want to find any of that in our spiritual lives. So we'll look at the scribes today. And then lastly, Jesus finally points to this poor widow as an example of giving. And Jesus is going to teach us something today from his word about how we are to give unto him. And it's not at all a coincidence that these three situations, these three teachings that Jesus will give us today, flow from what we just learned prior to this, which is that we are to love the Lord our God 
with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And then that the second command is like it, which is that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because what we're learning today about Jesus being Lord and how we're to beware of the scribes and how we're to give unto the Lord, that has to flow from the outworking of God's love in our lives. That we would, as we learned last week, that we would first get it right vertically, that we would be connected unto the Lord and then the horizontal would then take place. And so, now that you know where we're headed this morning, let's lean in, let's press into what God is going to share with us and let's be eager to have the Lord speak to us. I know that when I come to church, I want the Lord to speak to me. I, I want to have um, open ears to hear what the Spirit will say. I want an open heart to be challenged by the Word of God. And, and then I want to go out and I want to live what God is calling us to live. Amen? Amen. So, first of all, there's something to note here as we look at verse 35. It says, as Jesus taught in the temple, he said... How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? And the first thing I want to make a note about is the fact that Jesus was teaching in the temple. That he was still teaching in the face of opposition. We know that all the people in the temple were trying to kill Jesus. And yet he showed this determination to still proclaim the kingdom of God. Because that was the mission of Jesus, and it remained the same from the start of Jesus' ministry. We've seen this as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, which is that Jesus primarily came to the earth in order to teach and preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That was his primary focus of ministry. And we know as we read the Gospels that Jesus did miracles, right? But Miracles weren't necessarily the primary focus of his ministry. Did Jesus care for the poor? Yes. But that wasn't necessarily the primary focus of Jesus' ministry. Did Jesus feed the hungry? He certainly did. But again, that was not the primary reason for why he came to the earth. What did Jesus primarily come to do when he came to minister upon the earth? He came to teach about the kingdom of God. And to give his life as a sacrifice so that we can enter that kingdom. Ultimately, the purpose of Christ's coming was to die upon the cross and to be raised from the dead. We know that. But we can't enter the kingdom of God if we don't know about the kingdom of God. And so that is why it's important that we receive the teachings of Jesus. And you can't enter the kingdom of God if you're still dead in your sins. And so that is why it's important that Jesus died upon a cross and was raised back to life. And, and as we come into the kingdom of God, hopefully you've come into his kingdom because you've received and believed the teachings of Jesus. When we come into his kingdom, we come into God's love. And when we come into the power of God's love, what happens? Miracles happen. The poor are cared for. The hungry are fed. All those things that Jesus did in his life and ministry happen when we come into the power of God's love through the kingdom of God. And so, if this was the case, if Jesus primarily focused on teaching us, well, what did he teach? Well, this particular teaching we're looking at today, he starts by quoting a teaching from the scribes. 
And he was pointing actually to the error of their teaching. Because I hope that you know that there is such a thing as wrong teaching. Uh, The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, one of my favorite verses, it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. What the Apostle Paul was saying to Timothy, who was this young pastor that had been charged to preach the scriptures, he was telling him that he needed to do that correctly. He had to rightly handle the word of truth. And look, if there's a way to rightly handle the word of truth, then there is a way to wrongly handle the word of truth. And that is what the scribes were doing. What they were teaching about the Christ was wrong. And Paul would later say it was to their shame. And the scribes promoted themselves as experts of God's word. If you recall from last week, the scribes were copyists of the law. They got their name scribes because they would transcribe the word of God and make copies for people. But when it came to them knowing who is the Christ, who the Messiah would be, they, they missed it. They misunderstood what the identity of Christ would actually be. And they got some things correct, right? They said that he was the son of David. What does that mean? Well, the fact that the Messiah would be a son would speak of his humanity. And the fact that he was the son of David would speak of his lineage. So they got those things right. But what they also missed, which is pretty crucial is they missed from the scriptures what was taught about Christ being Lord. And and make no mistake, when Jesus said Lord, everyone knew that he was talking about God. When Jesus said Christ is Lord, the hearers knew that Jesus was claiming to be God. And when Jesus made this claim, to be Lord, he made it straight from the scriptures, which tells us something, right? Which is that it is the revealed scriptures that tells us the lordship of Jesus Christ. And what he does is he used Psalm 110. Psalm 110 was written by King David, um, who again was Jesus's ancestral line David, as he wrote Psalm 110, this song that was to be used in worship, was actually prophesying about the Lord when he was moved by the Holy Spirit. And you see there that the Holy Spirit, who is God, inspired David to write that scripture in Psalm 110, verse 1, about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 36, what it says. David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So what Jesus is simply doing is he's showing from Psalm 110 verse one, how he is the Lord, that Jesus is God. And if you recall from last week, something that I spoke about was the fact that God is Trinity that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I said that if you look into your Bibles, you're not gonna find the word Trinity, but what you will find is the truth 
of the divine nature of God, the, the Godhead of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, woven throughout the fabric of scriptures. And you can see it right here, right? Jesus, who is the Son of God, spoke about the Holy Spirit of God. And how the Holy Spirit inspired David to write a psalm that prophetically testified about Jesus Christ being Lord. Then look at verse 37, how David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So just like that, with one scripture and one rhetorical question, Jesus was able to make a case for his lordship. You could say that Jesus was the master apologist. You know, some of you guys might be very much drawn toward apologetics, which is the art, I would say, of giving a reasoned defense for the reality of God. Apologetics. And if you're drawn toward apologetics, this is something I would encourage you to take notice about how Jesus went about it, how he went about apologetics. Throughout chapter 12, we've seen how Jesus was being hit left and right from questions, endless questions from the various groups of people that opposed him. And in apologetics, you know, a lot of people get fired up because they want to, um, they want to show their opposers that Christ is Lord. We want to show the reality and the existence of God. But notice how Jesus goes about that. What I've seen throughout chapter 12 is that Jesus was very slow to speak. And when he did speak, he spoke very simply and very plainly from the scriptures. And he always brought it back to his true identity. Because the biggest question, and the question that should, all of our apologetics should lead to is this question, who is Jesus? That in our apologetics, we should very simply point to the scriptures, because the scriptures point to Jesus being the Christ, the savior of the, the world, right? We don't argue with people. What I often will say, and something I heard really early on as a Christian, is that if you can argue somebody into the kingdom of God, then you can argue somebody out of the kingdom of God. We don't argue, we take the kingdom of God as revealed in the scriptures and we present it to them in simplicity. See, because for a person to enter the kingdom of God, it has to happen by the Holy Spirit revealing from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's how a person gets saved. It's really simple that, that once we see Jesus for who he truly is, and once we see ourselves for who we truly are, we have to repent and be saved. And notice that when Jesus did that, the throng heard him gladly. And here's a simple truth. Do you want to know how to influence large groups of people for the kingdom of God? It's very simple. Declare from the scriptures, by the influence of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's it. That's how you can influence large groups of people for the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus did, and that's what we plan to do at this church from the scriptures, by the influence of the Holy Spirit, we're going to declare Jesus to be Lord. Amen?
Amen. Now from here, the Lord continues to teach, and in this teaching, he's going to give us a warning about the scribes. Look at verse 38 to 40. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. They have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. They devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So we're told to beware of the scribes, which first and foremost, um, people should be wary of the scribes, right? Because they missed who the Messiah was. They were teaching wrong things about the Christ. They had, again, certain aspects of his identity correct, that he was the son of David, yet they did not have all of his identity correct, which is that he is also God. And to only get part of the identity of Jesus correct really falls within that same vein of what Jesus said to the scribe in our study last week, where he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But to not be far from the kingdom of God is still to not be in the kingdom of God. Because to be in the kingdom of God, you need to know Jesus in his full identity. And here's a side note, right, is that Jesus wasn't afraid to tell people that they were wrong. <laughs> um, we all know that telling people that they're wrong can be really difficult, right? I mean, some of you guys might not find it very difficult at all. You, you know, you're like, wow, oh, I tell people they're wrong all the time. But, but be careful, right? Because there can be this sense, right, where, where you think that you are so right about everything that you're actually wrong, <laughs> But, but Jesus was right about everything. Jesus wasn't afraid to tell people that they were wrong. And, and that's a side note, but, but why were they wrong? They were wrong because they didn't believe the full humanity of Jesus, and so they were wrong. If you don't believe the full deity of Jesus, you are wrong. If you don't believe that Jesus died on a cross for your sins, you're wrong. If you don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, then you are wrong. Now these are the fundamental truths uh, of, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now there might be other areas, secondary things down the line in our theology that we might be wrong about, and God in his grace can work through that. But fundamentally, if we don't have the humanity, deity, death, and resurrection of Jesus right, then we're wrong. And we need to repent of that and turn by the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ to what is true. And the scribes, remember, they had certain beliefs about Jesus but they were wrong about him because they were mistaken about his full identity. To be mistaken about Jesus means that you're mistaken about everything. Because if you're mistaken about Jesus, it means that you're still dead in your trespasses. It means that you haven't had a heart, mind, soul, and strength that has been renewed by the love of God. So Jesus then tells us here is why we need to beware of the scribes. Why should we be aware of these people? Because they like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace. I love everybody's probably just checking out their wardrobe like, am I good? You know, where, where did I sit this morning? Um, 
But the scribes, they wore long robes because that was a sign of their status. And the common people and the servants, they would have worn shorter robes, robes that were more fit to do work in. And so Jesus saw how the scribes in their long robes sort of just sat in their positions of status and authority, and they did nothing with it. They expected everyone else to serve them and everything else to be done for them. But Jesus taught that in his kingdom, we must be servants of all. Jesus set the example when he took off his robe and he put a towel around his waist and he got down on the ground and he washed, washed his disciples' feet. The scribes wouldn't even have dared to think of doing that. But that is what Jesus did as he came to serve. They also loved greetings in the marketplaces. They wanted to be recognized in their position and their status. They walked around the marketplace and albeit they did it with caution because they didn't want their long robes to, God forbid, rub up against a sinner. Because if that happened, their holiness would be defiled before God. And so they would hold their robes in tight wanting to be seen in the marketplace for their superiority, for their holiness among the other people. But God resisted their pride. And God sent Jesus to give grace to the humble. And Jesus goes on to say that the scribes have the best seats in the synagogues, in the places of honor at feasts. This isn't a cause for us to worry about where you're sitting this morning, by the way. The Lord is the greatest example of not taking that best seat, that place of honor. If you think about where Jesus was sitting in heaven, the right hand of God, and as he descended from heaven to earth, he came as a lowly servant among people. He spent his days ministering among the sick and the poor and the hungry. He spent his time with the outcasts of society. When he did spend his time with people of honor, people of wealth, and people of status, because he did spend time with them too, he showed them what it means to have true contentment in the Lord and what it means to live sacrificially. But Jesus keeps going. He, he noticed a lot of things about the scribe. And in verse 40, we see him even say that, beware of the scribes because they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Jesus is going straight after their hypocrisy. Jesus always goes straight after our hypocrisy and cuts it down. Because what they were doing was not what was required of them by God. See, the religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. They got the unstained from the world part, but they weren't caring for the orphans and for the widows. And, and you know, what's really the cruel and the wicked heart of man, which I believe is in co-conspiracy with the devil, is to exploit people who are already in need. Look at what they did. They devoured widows' houses. It's easy to take advantage of people who are already in need, isn't it? And that is what the scribes did. And Jesus was repulsed by it. And all the while they sounded right and holy by their long prayers. They used their religious education to their advantage. They prayed long and wordy prayers to give the appearance that they were close to God. 
but, but just because, and, and there's, again, nothing wrong with praying long prayers. We should. Jesus is going after the heart here. But just because you can pray long and eloquent prayers doesn't mean you're close to God. The <laughs> Bible says very clearly, you can honor God with your lips, but have a heart that is far from him. And the scribes, they had a responsibility of teaching and training people how to pray. That was their, their service unto the Lord. But they, instead of doing that, instead of leading people nearer to God, instead they were keeping people in the dark. And they were using their positions and their status and their prayers in order for personal gain. And, and at the end of all these cautions about the scribes, Jesus says this they will receive the greater condemnation. And why is it that they have a greater condemnation? The reason why is because there's a spiritual principle in the kingdom of God that goes like this. To whom much is given, much is required. And God was expecting something from these scribes. With all the knowledge that they had of the scriptures, God wanted to see them doing something with it. He wanted to see them loving God and loving their neighbors. But listen, God does care about what you know. God wants you to know more about him. That's why we come to church. That's why we open our Bibles and read and study and grow and listen to sermons. And this is why we hear the teaching of Jesus, because we want to know more about God. But God is also looking to see what you're doing with what you already know. There's such a danger in, in continuing to grow in knowledge as the scribes did, and yet never having an outworking of that knowledge in love for God and love for your neighbor. And, and that's why James explicitly said that not many of you should be teachers. For you know that Teachers will be held to a stricter judgment. So as for me, as I'm speaking to you, I'm really preaching to myself. <laughs> if anything, this has been the most challenging and convicting section in a while in the Gospel of Mark for me. Because if there's anyone in danger of being like the scribe, it's church leadership. And, and I want to rightly handle the word of God. I want to rightly live the word of God. And, and it's not even so much for your sake, it's for my sake, because I know that there is a greater condemnation if what I teach and how I live is all just a pretense. That if it's all just a show, I'll be held accountable to God for that. And look, I, I live in the grace of God. Don't get me wrong. I live in the grace of God because I make mistakes. Surprise. <laughs> Pastors make mistakes all the time. And, and, and in fact, the greatest mistake for me to believe would be to believe that I can't make mistakes. That's a great danger when you come into faith in Christ and you want to know God, you want to live a holy life before God, you want to be near to God. But if you're trying to seek doing it in your own strength and putting up a facade, not living in the grace of God, there's such danger in that because listen, who wants to play church? I don't want to play church. I want the real thing. I don't, I don't want to live with a facade because how lame, 
How lame would this whole thing be that we're doing right now if it was all just a show? Pretty lame. (laughs) And if it is for you, turn to Jesus. Bring the real you to the real Jesus. Do the real thing. Because we don't just want to have a show. And that's why it's so important that we remain humble. It's why it's so important that we have an outworking of God, God's love in our lives. Because we don't want to be like the scribes, do we? Heavy stuff, but we don't want to be like the scribes. This is a warning from Jesus for the church. Now, remember there's still three parts of this portion. And the last part we're going to look at real briefly has to do with as Jesus being now near the end of the day, he goes into the temple and he's sitting in the corner of the temple looking over at the treasury. Jesus was really, he was people watching. Does anyone like people watching? Love people watching. Jesus, I'm a lot different probably in the way that Jesus people watch. I like laugh at people and judge people when I people watch. When Jesus was watching people, he was not laughing at them. He wasn't judging them, but he was making some observations. And he was looking to to teach his disciples something as he noticed what was happening. Look at verse 41. And as he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box, many rich people put in large sums. So Jesus, right, sat opposite the treasury. Picture that in your mind. Looking across toward the offering boxes, he noticed how people were putting things into the offering box. And this might actually be a really good time for me. Uh, Shameless plug right here. Um, I've been asked several times, I was even asked this morning, where are our offering box in this church? Um, We used to have this brown box. Now we've got two small white boxes located, one on that back pillar in the sanctuary, and then one on the wall between the kids check station and the coffee and the donut area. So there's two offering boxes for the church. Well, technically three because there's online as well. Um, So between those, that is where you could put your offering if you had a question about that. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to sit in the corner of the sanctuary and watch what people are putting in. You know, in fact, I don't really talk much about giving unless it comes up in the scriptures. And what we're studying today is talking very directly about giving, and so that's why we're talking about giving. So our heart for, as, for us as a church is that we would not devour widows' houses like the scribes did. We know that from the Bible that exploiting people financially through dishonest gain will be held with great condemnation. However, we do teach a biblical and faithful outworking of God's love by our generous giving. So imagine with your minds right now, Jesus sitting there in the temple, watching as people were putting money into the offering box. And and first we can make a note there is that Jesus saw people actually doing that. The first point is this, that giving has to start with the actual act of giving. It's really hard to teach people about the heart of giving when there's no action of giving. And giving is part of our discipleship to Jesus. And Jesus needs to teach us how to give. 
this took some time for me to learn. When I was 17 years old is when I got saved. Um, and then I went into college, but it wasn't until the end of my time in college that I actually started to give to my church. It took about three to four years as a disciple of Jesus for me to learn that I'm to give. And I wish I had learned it sooner. So Jesus watched as people were taking, right, a portion of their income, and they were bringing it into the temple, and they were coming to worship God with that giving. Giving is worship. And in their worship, they were placing money into the offering box that would then be used in good stewardship in order that the temple could function. The temple needed oil for the lamps. Churches need electricity for their buildings. The temple needed supplies for temple service, and churches need supplies for good and effective ministry. And the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And just as the priest of the temple was to receive an offering so they could do that service unto the Lord with their time, pastors and churches ought to be supported for the work that they do in the service of God's people. This is just Bible. And I could go further and more in detail about the act of giving and the reasons for why it's crucial that we would give to the ministry, to the church, in order for it to function. But really what we can do is just bypass all of that and get right to the heart of the matter. As Jesus watched the people giving, it says that many rich people were putting in large sums. People who had a lot of money we're giving large sums of money, as they should, because the Bible gives instruction for proportional giving. They were giving proportions of their income, and because they had large amounts of income, it was a lot of money that they were giving. However, for others, the portion of their income happened to be very small, and Jesus noticed a woman who had very little, she was a poor widow, is how the Bible describes her. She was likely poor because she was a widow. Because as we've seen twice in our text, widows in that time were often exploited um, and, and in their distress and often in need. And yet that poor widow comes into the temple to worship God, to love him with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the outworking of her love for God was that she was bringing her offering into the temple and placing that money in the offering box. And notice, it's called an offering box, not a taking box. God did not need that widow's money. God was not taking the poor widow's money. That widow was offering something to God. God doesn't need our money. God is a giving God. And God offers to us, and therefore our loving response to God is that we would give to him, in a response to his love, something to offer him. So let's, let's just let that be clear in our minds as we talk about giving, that, that, it, that we learn it from Jesus, who gave everything to us. Now look at verse 42, and a poor widow came. She put two small copper coins, which make a penny. 
So we discover the amount she gave, right? Two copper coins. Maybe Jesus heard the two metal clinks as it went into the offering box. The two mites, as other translation calls it, is that it was a day's wage that she gave to this offering. But the widow didn't have a lot. Seems from the end of the text that it's actually everything she had. And Jesus calls his disciples over. He's like, come here, boys. (laughs) Sit down. I'm going to teach you something. See that widow over there? See what she gave? See all those other people over there? See what they gave? Look at verse 43 to 44. This is what Jesus teaches his disciples after seeing all this happen. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. You gotta believe this was challenging the mindsets of the disciples. Because for us, in our natural thinking, amounts matter. We measure everything by amounts. My wife bakes cookies, she has to, I want to. (laughs) Right? We measure everything by amounts. $1,000 is always better than $1. But in the kingdom of God, God's not looking at the amount that you give. God doesn't even so much as look at the proportion you give. In the kingdom of God, God is looking how we give. She takes it beyond amounts and proportions and takes it right to the heart. God looks for sacrifice. I love what David Guzik, my pastor, said in his commentary on this. He said, the widow's gift, and Jesus' comment on this, shows us that the value of a gift is determined by what it costs the giver. So for the people who are putting large amounts in the offering box, they were contributing out of their abundance. For them, yeah, it was large amounts, but they had more to go back to. Whereas the widow put in a small amount contributing even out of her poverty and need, putting in everything she had and didn't have anything to go back to. But she trusted God with it. It says at the end of verse 44, she put in everything she had, all she had to live on. As we end here, I imagine Jesus watching this poor widow giving everything she had And I just picture a big smile on the face of Jesus. Because he knew that just as she was giving her all, Jesus knew that in just a few days, he would give his all at the cross. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus just smiled and looked at that poor widow and knew how rich she was in God. As we end here this morning, the goal of talking about this is not to give you a sense of guilt or shame. It is to encourage you that if you are a disciple of Jesus, you ought to learn if you haven't already, that giving to your local church is part of your discipleship. God is patient and he's gracious with us, 
But God is looking for cheerful and generous givers. He wants you to learn this and he wants you to grow in this. It's still something that I'm learning and growing in and I trust that it's something that we all will learn and grow in together as a church. I don't seek to guilt you into giving more just because of this message. That would be to my shame. We're not gonna pass the offering plate right now. But what I am looking to do is that your heart would be shepherded by Jesus. Just as we love because he first loved us, we give because he first gave to us. And what did he give? He gave his life as a ransom on the cross. And he rose from the dead so that we can die with him and be raised with him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you today. We love you with all that we are, all of our hearts, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. When I say, Lord, we want to give it all to you, I'm hardly talking about our money. (laughs) I'm talking about our lives, that this wouldn't all be a pretense and a show. This would be the real thing where we're worshiping the real Jesus. So Lord, be Lord today. Be the God of all in our lives. And we ask, Lord, that you would draw your people near to yourself, both in word and in deed. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.